Hi, and welcome to another episode of Save Your Sorry. I'm your host, Jose. Joining me is my co-host and best friend, Katrina Rochelle. If it's your first time joining us, we talked about the rise and fall of a celebrity. And if you are a repeat listener and this is your second, third, or 60th time listening, please consider leaving a five-star rating and a review. Now, Katrina, who is the subject of our episode today? All right. So, if you've been here before, you're going to hate hearing this, but going to do something a little different. <laughs> Every episode. <laughs> going to do something a little different than what we say we do this podcast for. And um, today, with uh, basically a melding of ideas started by you and then me, um, I've decided to do battling co-stars, basically backstage beefs between two or more people on the set of a TV show. Oh, interesting. Interesting. If it was battling co-stars on a podcast, it'd be us. Yeah, I'd win. <laughs> <laughs> so I did choose um, two beefs from two different shows. Uh, before I share, do, do you want to take any guesses of what two shows I mentioned? And then you, you'll see if you're right at the end. <sighs> I know we were talking about Martin. So is it Martin? And that's a possible choice. Who's your second pick? My second? Okay, if we didn't already cover it, I would say Isaiah Washington. But we already covered him. I've said what I've wanted to say. <laughs> <laughs> and we already covered Roseanne. I feel like she might have a beef with someone. Mm. Oh, I know. Oh, options. Things to I know. About. Like, we've covered so many people already that kind of fit in this category. So I don't know who the second one's going to be. Okay, well, let's get into it. So, like I said, today we're going to be discussing a couple of stories that consist of co-stars that had beef with each other or some range of issues that made them working together very difficult. So, in this first case, there are some confirmed details, some unconfirmed details, but the overall feeling of dislike or apathy among the cast of Desperate Housewives. Oh, see, I... I feel like when that show was very popular, it was always in the tabloids that so-and-so is arguing. Mm-hmm. So, before we get into it, were you a fan? Did you ever watch, try to watch uh, Desperate Housewives? When I would come home from school, my mom and her friend Kim would be watching it. Mm-hmm. But I would always just catch the end of it. As I got older, I did try to rewatch it. And I think after season one, it's like... I'm done with it. Like I didn't I didn't have any more interest. Okay. I could definitely see that. Yeah, I was kind of like the teenager that heard about it and um everybody kept talking about, "Oh, so great. It's so this." And I was into Grace Anatomy, so I was like, "Well, what's another hour dramedy?" I got on Desperate Housewives after a couple seasons and then I kind of just stayed away from it because then it just started to get too much. They they started delving into some storylines that I was like, "Okay, all right. We're, we're cool. Yeah, and I think if I remember correctly, um, Lifetime it was. I think it was either Desperate Housewives to Grey's Anatomy or Grey's Anatomy to Desperate Housewives. So they had like a lineup on there. Oh yeah, on the reruns, I definitely yeah. watch Grey's Anatomy reruns on Lifetime all the time. Yeah, so I, I do. When that's fine that you mentioned it because I kind of connect those two as well. When talking about the cast of Desperate Housewives and the issues that they had, I titled this. Cherry, Terry versus the world. Desperate Housewives is an ABC dramedy, comma, drama, about these beautiful housewives on Wisteria Lane. 
that are not all that they seem. So, (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, the show premiered in the fall of 2004 in like I said it was a big hit. I, I heard about it as a teenager, and this was not even really my demographic. And it lasted a total of eight seasons, ending May 2012. Now, the original lineup of Housewives were Terry Hatcher as Susan Meyer, Felicity Huffman as Lynette Scavo, Marsha Cross as Brie Van de Camp, Eva Longoria as Gabrielle Solis, and Nicolette Sheridan as Edie Britt. All these ladies lasted eight seasons with the exception of Nicolette Sheridan's Edie Britt. She was killed off. She was killed off the show in season five. So there were stories all about the Desperate Housewives cast that leaked to the press. Some talking about just issues on the set, issues about favoritism, discontent in their roles and just the cast. So let's talk about some of them. Now, one of the most popular stories is the Vanity Fair cover. After the success of the first season, and that they, I think Terry Hatcher won a Golden Globe, and so did the cast. Uh, The cast is set to cover the Vanity Fair cover magazine. And when I say the cast, I mean the ladies. And this is for the uh, the spring of 2005. I think that was the May cover. When it finally hit shelves, Um, It says like a headline about like housewives, whatever, but underline uh, under that is the tagline. You wouldn't believe what it took just to get this photo. And Mm. I'm like, hmm, go ahead and spill your own tea. Oh, me, oh, my. Oh, me, oh, my. First of all, I was like, things go on behind photo set, uh, photo shoots all the time. It must have been crazy. They said, we're going to put this on the cover. (laughs) <laughs> During this photo shoot, the apparent game was that Terry was to be a cast member and not the star. This photo shoot is being monitored and supervised by a ABC rep. And apparently the deal is that Terry Hatcher is not to be in the center of this photo for Vanity Fair. She should not be able to pick her wardrobe first, nor should she see the stylist first. Now, these are all things that the rep has said when they are on the set. So these are pre, is it preconceived rules? Or these are pre-placed rules that they've already had. A precursor. Yes. And so um, this is what the, uh, the rep is telling everybody on set. Make sure that this does not happen. This is how it has to go. Blah, 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 blah. But that is not what happens. Apparently, Marsha Cross, who plays Brie, came to the set, found out that for the cover that Terry was in the middle and she was beside her, she got pissed and reportedly yelled yelled at the rep to do their fucking job. Um, that also tied into Terry Hatcher running off set, um, getting it, uh, starting to cry and get emotional. I was about to say in tears. Yeah, in tears. <laughs> Ran off in tears, (laughs) uh, having an emotional phone call. And because of this public scene being set, as well as I think uh, Eva Longoria's rep or something, uh, Eva Longoria was sending texts to her rep or somebody saying like, everything is not fine. So with all these things going on and this being very public, 
it was bound to get reported on. And when the Vanity Fair cover came out, ABC and Touchstone Television released a statement saying, uh, calling the moment a, quote, one isolated incident. I got to see this cover. First of all, I ain't trying to slander nobody, but the cover is is not given what it should be for all this drama. <laughs> Are we talking about this swimsuit one? Exactly. Who's the best looking one? Eva Longoria. Always. But yeah, it, it's 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 just a very basic photo that they were tearing up all this drama for. And something that I, I didn't write in my script, but it was mentioned was when you fucking um because it's like an extended type of cover or something like that. When you fold it the correct way you do your magazine, you can't even see Marsha Cross or Felicity Huffman. Oh. So I was like, okay, well, all this for not even all y'all to be seen, but whatever, you know, fight is fight. Oh, I, I'm seeing it as you're talking right now. Yeah, you just see the three. Exactly. It's, that's what they really should have been bargaining for. Everybody gets on the actual cover. I wonder if the other two are, like, less of divas. I think, despite what has recently happened to to my girl, I think that Felicity Huffman and maybe... I'm not really familiar with the other people's work, but I think Felicity and Eva are the most, like, humble. Hmm. It it seemed like from what I was going through in my stories. You know, Marsha's cool, too, but I don't really follow her career like that. Which one's Marsha? Marsha's the redhead. Okay. Marsha's the redhead. Nicolette is the blonde. Terry is the brunette lead. Um, Felicity is Felicity and Eva's Eva. Would you say, Desperate Housewife, she is the lead actress? Who? Like, is she the star? Terry. Okay, so here's the thing. Because it's Desperate Housewives. I agree. I thought initially, because when I started to try to dabble into Desperate Housewives, the only two people I really knew was a little bit of Eva, but mostly Felicity Huffman. So initially I thought she was the lead. But when you kind of watch the show as well, see the storylines, who is made to be more of the hero slash downtrodden funny girl? That is Terry Hatcher slash Susan. So mm-hmm. I, and a lot of times she was referred to as the lead, even though this was an ensemble. That would eat me up. I'm t- and I don't think that that helped with the whole ensemble problems, but we'll get this bitch ain't game center. <laughs> we'll She's not into- going first. <laughs> we'll get into that later. And apparently Terry Hatcher is like before a desperate housewife. She was established in TV. Um, no offense. I wasn't watching none of that shit she was in, but she was is it like soaps. Uh, maybe soaps. I know she definitely started in like this Lewis and Clark Superman show. That was pe- uh-huh. uh, very popular. But yeah, ABC Touchstone says that this is one isolated incident. And then they continue saying, while negotiating certain elements of photo shoots is a standard practice and was part of our coordination with Vanity Fair, this shoot simply did not go as planned. Because of this, our talent were made to deal as best they could with a situation not of their making. This one isolated incident does not define these women or their relationship. Nah, they all love each other. Mm-hmm. You gotta put out a it's not lengthy, but it's a it's a little long statement for an isolated incident. Especially when you have Marsha Cross saying, do your fucking job, and Terry Roth cr- crying, and Terry is not allowed to be in the center. 
that doesn't sound like an isolated incident and that these women are all loving friends. I love the do your fucking job. I know. And when I heard that Marsha Cross said it, I was even more like, okay, bitch, come on. Because she plays Brie, the prim and proper one. The prim and proper redhead with a big forehead. <laughs> she's one of the, like her and Rihanna. I, go ahead, big foreheads. I salute Some you. people can pull it off. They can't. If I have a big forehead, just clock me out because I can't work it. But maybe because I, I be shaving my head bald sometimes, so I could probably. Well, you have a three head. Thank you. <laughs> I was about to call that an insult until I had to think. I was like, what? It's just so teeny tiny. Uh, brings me back to elementary. Oh, five head little bitch ass <laughs> motherfucker. But <laughs> back to this. Really I cancelable think... stuff in, in high school. <laughs> <laughs> I think why they had to release a statement was because for the most part, besides one of those women on there, the show is all like their best friends. Every, yep. You know, you most people want to think that there are people on the show that are friends or friends outside of the show as well. Yes, I agree. And and when you break that illusion, it makes harder. It, it it's harder for the viewers to get into the fantasy. Uh huh. So also, uh, funny enough, they're talking about this isolated incident. Incident. I talked about how Nicolette Sheridan character Edie Britt got killed off season five. Yes, Nicolette did not like that and she felt that was premeditated so she ended up filing a lawsuit against abc television and the show creator mark cherry for a alleged assault during rehearsal and wrongful termination that after she reported it was she was retaliated against by getting fired and she files this lawsuit for 20 million dollars now, the case does get thrown out. Uh, what I heard is that at first it was a mistrial because the jury was deadlocked. And then afterwards, the judge threw it out. And uh, I'll talk about that a little bit at the end for sure. But that's what ends, ends up happening with the case. But she does file a lawsuit against ABC and Mark Cherry for how she feels she was treated on set and the fact that they were planning on killing off her character because of her reporting this abuse and her having discontent with the show and the writers. Interesting. Now, um, and, and, and to be fair, even though, you know, I don't trust network investigations, but ABC did do their separate, uh, their own separate investigation. And they did clear Mark of any wrongdoing on their behalf during the testimony. Cause like I said, this did go to court during Mark Cherry's testimony is where we get that quote that was floating around about Terry Hatcher when Mark says that one day Nicolette Sheridan pulled him to the side after they were having like a battle in a seat. Like they were supposed to be shooting a scene together, but both of the actresses were unhappy with how it was going. They didn't like each other or whatever. Nicolette Sheridan pulls Mark to the side and says, quote, that Terry is the meanest woman in the world with the way that she's acting. And that was like a quote that I saw floating around. I didn't know what the fuck that meant. But yeah. So um That's not even that bad. It's not even that bad, but I say when stuff, everybody I say kept stuff saying worse that, than that all day, every day. Oh, I know you did. You said worse to me before we press record. <laughs> <laughs> but um it's not this full, it's not this like, oh my gosh, that's a crazy ass quote. It's just more of those like confirming quotes, like everybody 
kept saying that there was no problems, but of course there were problems. And it was like, it came out of nowhere. Granted, the ratings were up and down with Desperate Housewives after the like second season. People didn't really expect Edie to just die. And no offense, I think I remember how she died. And it was stupid. I think she got electrocuted. After hitting a car. Yeah, car wreck. The wire goes into a pond. She steps in the pond. Lame ass wow. death. I mean, it's kind of on par for that show. Yes, that is true. But they had better deaths, more mysterious ones, more <laughs> plot concluding, plot evoking ones. So I felt like it really showed how they felt about Nicolette by the, giving her such a weak death anyway. Because previously, Mark had talked about, well, you know, I felt that um, I needed to kill off a major character. And I had been thinking about killing off, uh, you know, somebody. And then when it came down to it, when I when I decided, or I guess the writers decided to kill off Edie, they figured they take Edie away, Nicolette, her pay would pay for quote unquote, like three or four other actors. Oh. But I think that's just a way to rationalize. And if you do take away Edie, from what I'm remembering from the show, she was the only one without a family, correct? She was she was the only one that wasn't a pure housewife from the beginning. Like, but did the, she have kids on the show? No, no, no. She never she never had kids on the show. She did end up getting married on the show, but it wasn't like one of those like marriages like the other women had. Yeah, she was married to uh, this dude who was like a weird guy. And then the actor himself is like like really religious and he doesn't like do sex scenes or like simulate sex or do things like that. So Edie Britt went from being like this really seductive, like fun, flirty character from season one to being like tied down and mysterious and going through all these changes. Interesting. I just yeah. think hers was the most clean cut, you know, they can not take a lot her out of yeah, out all the family members. Because all the family members had their little plot points. But do you think that could have also been purposeful? It like she been. was on there for five seasons. They could have maybe once given, given her a family. Now, they eventually they, gave Susan more of a family. That's true. That is true. So What they should have said is Edie had no spark. And then they <laughs> electrocute her. <laughs> I can't stand you. That was good, though. <laughs> so, yes, um, Mark Cherry says this on uh, the stand that uh, Nicholas says that Terry was the meanest woman in the world with the way that she was acting. Mark Cherry saying that is funny because there are some things that are also said about Mark Cherry in a couple of articles uh, once the lawsuit was filed. And um, I got this from the Daily Beast article. First of all, I want to say my sources, eOnline, people.com, Daily Beast, um, for Desperate Housewives. That's where I got all the information. It was pretty much laid out. It was really nice. I appreciated it greatly. Oh, and Vanity Fair. <laughs> yeah. Um, so a few quotes from the Daily Beast talking to former staffers that have been employed um, on the Desperate Housewives set regarding Mark Cherry's leadership were, quote, he will dress you down in front of the staff. He will assault an idea. He is very confrontational in this way. He has hissy fits. Oh, in fact, something else I learned about him. Hey, he did contribute. Uh, he did write for the Golden Girls in the Golden Palace. I was like, don't make me like you. <laughs> <laughs> like, I love the Golden Girls. 
Well, that just shows that you can write for like an ensemble cast. <laughs> Properly. Ooh. Okay. But yeah, uh, that's what one staffer said. And I feel like a lot of these big directors, I mean, it could be said about them too. You always hear that they get in your face. Yeah. And I don't understand that. I'm just trying to evoke a good performance out of you, or I'm just passionate, or I'm just showing you I care. Or this, this project means a lot to me. It means a lot to me 10 feet away, motherfucker. Get you out of see my their vision. They have this vision in their head. Like I was, see it on the screen. I was looking up um, because I uh, a couple of days ago, I really wasn't sure which two I was going to nail down. I knew which one for sure I was, but not the other one. So I was looking through like co-stars that had beef and they were talking about Kramer versus Kramer, which I've never watched, but I know the plot of it. And, you know, whatever, which is, you know, Meryl Streep and D Dennis Hoffman, Dennis Hoffman, Dustin Hoffman, you know, trying to get custody of their child. And uh, they talked about how, like, Dustin Hoffman was a method actor. And so in one scene, he actually slapped Meryl Streep. I said, bitch, we would have been boxing. <laughs> Dustin Hoffman would have been choked the fuck out on the ground, coughing for breath. Because not the fuck. Don't be doing that method acting shit. Like he slapped her during the scene? I don't know. I think the cameras were It was either a cameras were rolling situation or a rehearsal situation where him being the quote-unquote method actor slapped Meryl Streep for real across the face. And then, oh, they said he even like mocked her about, um, before she got married to like her now husband, she had a boyfriend who I think died of cancer or he did like suddenly, he did like die. I don't know if it was cancer, but it was something. And Dustin said, or it was reported that Dustin also used to mock uh Meryl about his death. Damn, they were trying to get those emotions out of her. Yeah, and then we would have had a murder investigation. That. But yeah, Damn. I couldn't believe that. Meryl don't. Ma Meryl, Meryl, I know you listening. <laughs> <laughs> Number one fan of the pod. Meryl, I know you listening. Let me know if I need to pay Dennis Hoffman a visit even, even 50 years later. I'll do it for you. But yeah. Um, so another staffer referring to Mark Cherry uh, says he hates women. It's apparent on set that he's a fan of cute gay men, not women. I was like, God damn. Hmm. So then another quote is talking about Nicolette Sheridan says Nicolette is someone who very baldly, which I think is a, mo a miss. A misspelling and they said boldly but they put an a in there so i'm gonna just recorrect it uh nicolette is someone who very boldly says what she's thinking and sometimes it may oh and sometimes it might be insulting to the writing and it's something he'll take offense to i think it's boldly oh give me the definition read it off dictionary.com without any extra detail or explanation plainly bluntly oh first of all I kind of like that, but it, yeah. makes, it makes She's me want to call. It. it makes me think of her being bald. Make her let as someone who's very baldy. I think she's just not beating around the bush about it. She's just straightforward with it. Oh, same thing. Boldly means low key. I just feel boldly. It's like you know, you're going in bold, you're going in brave, you're going in fierce. Oh, boldly. and she's like, she's just plainly stating it, like, yeah, uh, this is shit. This is I'm, shite. She's not really defend. Like looking out for his feelings, but she's not going to hurt his feelings either. Okay, so let me uh, just for just for uh, accurate sake, 
Nicolette is someone who very baldly says what she's thinking. And sometimes it might be insulting to the writing and it's something he'll take offense to. There we go. Correction. <laughs> so, um, I don't, I don't know how I feel about that. I do think that acts should have like a say, they should be able to say how they feel. Um, but I do understand that like, bitch, I don't want you to be just like trashing my writing. Like give me some constructive cr criticism, but you know, I can see both sides on that whole thing. I can too. And as someone who can come off very curt, I feel like I don't, she maybe was not in the wrong there. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. I think that could be just perspective, honestly. Yeah, I honestly, you, you can tell the same story. She tells it one way and she's like, I was just telling him, hey, my character wouldn't do this. And he's saying, and she came up to me saying, this is a stupid script. And, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's somewhere in the middle. Yeah. So one source says that the writing posse that Cherry surrounds himself with and treasures the most consists of mostly straight men. Um, they say that these people that work around or with him uh, say that while discussing certain issues about the show, Cherry listens primarily to his male writers and that female writers get a, quote, hostile face in a dismissive wave and a, you need to go shut up and sit over there while I listen to this guy. Now, that's not saying, that's not what he exactly says, but they're basically saying like, hey, if I'm a female writer and I'm going to Mark Cherry about an idea or something, He's basically going to stare straight into my soul and wave my ass off so he can talk to somebody else's somebody else who he deems important. Which is so interesting considering the main cast is all women. And, and um, I'm sure the main audience is women. And that's what I was just about to get to this other astounding fact. According to IMDb, of the 39 writers slash producers who worked on Desperate Housewives since 2004 when it aired, only 14 were women and many of those didn't even last long. They said that there was like this writer alum from Saturday Night Live. I think her name was Julia Sweeney. They said her she lasted half a season. So this show has almost 40 writers and not even half of them were women. And then of the not even half that were women, they didn't even last long in the writer's room till beginning to end. Hmm. So I'm starting to see that some of this stuff could have credibility more than anybody wants to admit. Yeah, it does seem like it. Because that, that logically makes no sense. It's just revolving door of women. That show was all about like, the the female like the 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 female um pov of motherhood of uh dating of a marriage of sex of pregnancy menopause like violence like it there were men in that show but it was all about the women the men sh very rarely had storylines that didn't intertwine with the other women yeah, I felt like a lot of time the men were eye candy or... Supporting they, characters. Supporting characters, yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, it's kind of crazy. Granted, I do not... I guess Mark Cherry is a man himself, but to surround that writer's room in nothing but mostly men, I think is a disservice. And probably one of the reasons why Desperate Housewives had so many up and down, like, viewers. Like, they couldn't hold a consistent audience. And that's why eventually they had to, you know... Take it off. So, I mean, yeah, uh, I what was you going to say? It did run for 
good amount of seasons. Yeah, but I think most of that was just like purely on name because, you know, sometimes they'll give you two seats. They'll renew it for two more seasons. That is true. They'll renew it for three seats. So it could have been trash season four or five, but when you get two or three more seasons in one go, you know, people don't really, I don't really count that as, you know, always being successful if like every season isn't strong. Like they they had strong have, seasons, but they had really bad seasons where things just didn't make sense. They also had high, like, premiere episodes and season finales, I think, because they always did, like, those cliffhangers or build-ups. Yep, shit will get talked about, so you want to tune in. Yeah. Mm-hmm, I agree. So, um, both the behavior from Mark and Nicolette both seem to track based off what the sources are saying. Um, and the quote that uh, Mark gave from his testimony about killing Edie Britt. Cherry also said that on the stand that he saw examples of Sheridan's unprofessionalism during uh, table reads. He said, quote, she made insulting comments about her dialogue. Uh, what she did was hugely rude and highly upsetting to the writers present. And I was like, hmm, hugely rude and highly upsetting to the writers present. He loves his writers. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I wonder, though, was she the only one doing that? Were the other stars doing that? Was Terry doing mm-hmm. that? Also, what did she say? I can say people said some insulting, rude shit to me all day, but the rude thing was, girl, you know, them pants don't fit. <laughs> now it could be true and it could be rude. So yeah. was she doing that or was she like, boy, that's why you love live in a fucking shack and all this shit is shit and all that. Like that's just plain old rude, like nothing, nothing constructive about it. So everybody can say that she was very baldly saying what she thought about the, the, the writing and that she was rude, but nobody is really giving examples, but you see, when he did want to give a quote of what she did, he he made sure it was on um, on file. Terry is the meanest woman ever. This bitch and got problems. Basically, illust- yeah, basically illust- illustrating that. Hey, uh, Nicholas says she has this issue with me, but I have an issue with uh, her, and she has issues with Terry, and she's problematic herself. You know, cast doubt into her story. Yeah, it's not just an us problem it's a she has a problem with everybody she's mm-hmm. the problem mm-hmm. so a producer who worked with uh mark defended him saying that you know everybody's talking about mark being like volatile and he's too severe but he's just quote extremely passionate says like so many executive showrunners there is a strength in leadership Mark has a very clear vision of what he wants. He's not a saint, but he's not a monster. Now, you tell me what you think when you hear a quote like that, talking about a showrunner who's extremely passionate and isn't a saint, but isn't a monster. He needs to bring a little of that passion back. Like, it's just too much because saying that right there, saying he has his flaws, he's done some shit, but he's not that bad. If, If you have to, like... Put those little, he's not a saint, but not a monster thing. You know, there's monster moments in there. You, you explained it perfectly. That's exactly what I felt. And that's exactly what I said. Cause it's that I basically said, it sounds like these stories are true enough that nobody wants to, that this producer doesn't want to directly confirm it. But, um, he, 
he's enough on his side where he's like he's not a bad person but yeah you're you're basically uh admitting that he has issues and he's been known to voice them at others i just feel like it's when you're in one of those bad relationships and you're like all we do is argue and they're like we don't just argue we <laughs> were just watching a movie together it was yeah great. Like, of course you weren't just arguing five minutes ago, but bitch, you argue every day. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So, um, like I had said before at the beginning, the case ends up in a mistrial when the jury gets deadlocked. Then the judge throws it out. The judge says that the judge's reasoning for throwing out the case altogether was saying that Nicolette Sheridan did not provide enough proof of reporting her assault and that her character being killed off slash her being fired wasn't just a creative decision so that unfortunately was the end of that loss and what was the assault again i'm sorry oh i never said that okay so this is what nicolette said the assault was the nicolette says that during a rehearsal uh mark uh hit her upside the head that's the that's the verbiage she used that mark hit her upside the head Mark says that it was a tap in which he was showing her how to pull off a gag for a scene. I do not know what the truth is. I am inclined to think it's a little bit in the middle with these two. I don't know if I could, well, I could believe somebody hitting somebody. Of course, I just told you that Dennis Hoffman slapped Meryl Streep. You keep saying Dennis. Is that his name? You know why? I would just listen to Randy, but that man's name is Dennis for now. Okay. He don't get no respect. He slapped Meryl Streep. Fuck him. I kind of see it too. I see. But I don't. But did, I don't see him like outright slapping her. Maybe not in the way she said. But I also don't see any fucking reason why, with the actress that you don't like, for a gag that only needs a tap, that you needed to touch this actress with just a tap to show her. I, like I'm inclined to think it's it, it's a little column A, a little column B. I think he hit her. Or you think he, he really did smack her? Maybe not smack her, but like you're saying, a little in between where it was a little, you didn't have to hit that hard, but it didn't really like make her bust into tears or anything. He didn't Will Smith slap her. Mm. I think it could have been just basically like a battery, like it was an un unwanted touch by like somebody who was in your personal space. But yeah, they dismissed it. The any witnesses come forward for that? That's crazy. There's mm -mm. no one on set? Uh, as far as I, I read, no. Yeah, see? That makes it odd to me. Not one person on this set that ha always has people acting together mm -hmm. weren't there. None of the writers that she's saying rude comments to were there or nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently not. Was that judge a man or a woman? <laughs> <laughs> um, I didn't look it up, but I could probably guarantee it was a man, just just based off of it. No, but women be, women judges do that too. Yeah, I, it was a judge because just because I feel man. like here's how I thought it, it. I think she was done wrong because if it ends in a mistrial and um the jury is deadlocked, do a retrial why yeah. would you throw out the case it wasn't it wasn't inefficient it wasn't um insufficient enough that y'all didn't even do the first trial uh, she had enough proof then so why when she is going to do it again would you throw out the case i just didn't think that was 
They've thrown out the mashed potatoes because they made the gravy wrong. It makes no sense. That is hilarious. I've never heard of that before. Bitch, I'm going to have to start using that. <laughs> You're like, what the fuck you always bring up mashed potatoes and gravy? Jose taught me a new saying. Don't know mashed potatoes because you didn't do the gravy right. All right. You know what's funny? I really don't even eat a lot of gravy on my mashed potatoes. Only when I'm at restaurants. No. I never do. So, um, uh, where did I leave off? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's how that ended. In 2018, um, Nicolette, and this is like, of course, years years later, but Nicolette has finally, uh, she, she spoke about the incident and how she felt and basically why she stayed away from, from acting for a while after Desperate Housewives. So this quote is from Entertainment Weekly in 2018. Nicolette says, I was the victim of assault and battery on the set of Desperate Housewives by the creator of the show, my boss. I reported him and I was retaliated against for doing so and fired. That is against the law. I was vilified for standing up for my rights, not only as a woman, but as a human being. And I was punished for it. And then, uh, you know, Entertainment Weekly talks about how this did taint her perception of Hollywood. And um, Nicolette says that, you know, that incident sent me under a rock. I really grappled with what happened, losing faith in people and really not trusting the business at all. I didn't know that I wanted to do I didn't know that I wanted anything to do with the business for some time. So even years later, um, Nicolette is not shying uh, away from what she said and her story and her feelings. And I respect it. If, if that's what you said happened and you and you know it to be true and that's what it is. I mean, there's nothing more to be said. You know, Cherry, Mark Cherry me, says his, you said what? From what you're saying, I believe her. Oh, I hundred, I, you know, I don't know if it was noticeable, but I, I believe Nicolette Sheridan as well. Um, I think some of the details can be fuzzy because when you have two people who are outspoken and who are very plainly telling people how they feel, people choose sides. And it's obvious that because he was the creator, he was the, the epicenter, that everybody was mostly on Mark's side. But I definitely think... A lot of what these staffers and sources have said about Mark, as well as what Nicolette has said about Mark, ring true to what type of person he could be and what he could do to a cast member on a show. Yeah, if before you- hearing this, I guess, like just from what the murmurs I heard out there, I kind of thought she was the problem. She was a diva. And mm-hmm. I guess that's really never the case. You Hardly just never. They just, you know, people, people, um, get branded with these these labels and it follows them yeah that's true another incident that happened or that is kind of known about was when the show ended in 2012 the uh, the main cast gifted the crew with some like carry-on luggage like some fancy carry-on luggage and a card the card had everybody's name on it including newest cast member vanessa williams from the last two seasons but it did not have terry hatcher's name on it at all it said, just know that on all your future adventures, you are carrying a little piece of our love and gratitude. Thank you for a magical eight years. Love, Eva, Marsha, Felicity, and Vanessa. Now tell me you ain't fucking with a motherfucker without telling me you ain't fucking with a motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> 
Like, That's horrible. And, and I love how they said a magical eight years, and at the end is Vanessa, who only clocked in two seasons. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, so now according to E! Online, one of the reasons this could have happened is because of a riff opening during the last contract negotiation of the show. It said that when it came to their final contract negotiation, Hatcher reportedly, Terry Hatcher, Susan Meyer, <laughs> reportedly made her own agreement in advance, separate of the other women, limiting their ability to negotiate as a group. Now, I hate when people do that. So it's, it's, it's crazy to me. Which really, this, this whole thing of her negotiating her own thing without the group, interests me because when we discussed the Janet Hubert Will Smith situation we talked about the power of negotiating as a group how that helps everybody in the long run what happens to the individual or individuals if not everybody shares that sentiment and just goes for their own goes for themselves and apparently before Edie no that's not her name before Nicolette got fired or slash killed off she was the last to know that she was going to get killed off one of the reasons that the news got down to her quicker was mark sent the storyline through abc about uh edie Britt dying and they accepted it they were writing it in they're having plans she's going to die season five eva longoria and felicity huffman had a conversation with Mark. And I don't know, they didn't really say what the conversation was. But based off that conversation, they said that, you know, Nicolette's coming to us about, you know, negotiating our next contract as a group. And when they, and when Eva and Felicity say that to Mark, Mark's like, yeah, I got to tell y'all, I'm killing off Edie Britt this season. So mm -hmm. I always thought it was crazy that Nicolette was intending to do some contract negotiations as a group but in the last final contract negotiation this star said fuck the rest of this group i'm gonna get mine and shut everybody else out and let's supposedly the problematic one i feel like she felt like she was the star she was the center so she probably felt on her own she can get more and the crazy thing is it's like when you negotiate as a group you are not negotiate. Okay, there's there's levels to it, obviously, but not always when you're negotiating as a group, y'all are all going to get paid the exact same thing. Usually, the motivation is to make sure that everybody gets exactly what they want and is treated right and fairly and getting paid fairly. Some people in the end can get more money, but it's to make sure that nobody in the group is getting shafted yeah and i mean it would just be these main ladies it's not like you it, don't do the whole it's path. not it's exactly it's not like you gotta include the background the kid actor none of that i i it four what was it four ladies one two five ladies I the just, rest let them eat cake and it's kind of crazy go and get these contracts i i never understand that mm -hmm. it's selfish it, it is. And, and I can understand wanting to be selfish and get what you feel like you're deserved and earned. But there's I feel like there's a way to go about it. <laughs> and I, I get these are maybe not your best friends or your coworkers. Mm -hmm. but you don't like them. 
they're your comrades that you go to work with. You know, you're working alongside them. You're doing scenes with them. You should want, hey, I'm going to do this. We're both working. We're both going to get this money. Yeah, and I feel like Hollywood is like 25% talent, 50% networking, and the other 25% is fucking um, reputation. So people are going to remember how you act and what you do towards others. So in the long, I mean, in the short term, yeah, you got your money in the long term. People going to think you're a backstabber. Yeah, because I bet if those other women are on a show, they're going to reach out to other people before they reach out to Terry. Like if you know, oh, God, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. In a case like that, or they're like, <laughs> yeah, I've been thinking about bringing Terry Hatcher. I wish you fucking would. I quit now. Yeah. <sighs> so apparently, TV Guide magazine did ask Terry Hatcher for a comment on the string relations, and she said via email, "quote I will never disclose the true and complicated journey for us all, but I wish everyone on the show well." And I said, that means, a.k.a. fuck them bitches, I got mine, and they should have got theirs. <laughs> yeah. So weird, because at the beginning of this, I my idea of her was opposite, too. I thought she was a sweet, nice girl. Mm-hmm. I'm furthering the whole um, nobody likes Terry narrative is, and uh, everybody knows, well, not everybody knows, but if you did not know, Felicity Huffman uh, got caught up in that college admission scandal, which I was so disappointed in. Like, Lori Laughlin, take that bitch, but don't, Felicity, you know better. You know better. <laughs> so um, she got caught in that, and I think she only had to spend, for, and that pissed me off too. Like, I like you, but bitch, 14 days for what you did, spare me, but whatever. She spent 14 days in jail or prison or whatever. And um, Mark Cherry and Eva Longoria wrote letters of leniency to the judge. And in Eva Longoria's letter uh, that was sent September 6, 2019, she says that she had been bullied on the set of Desperate Housewives because she was a newcomer to this industry. She says, quote, there was a time I was being bullied at work by a coworker. I dreaded the days I had to work with that person because it was pure torture until one day Felicity told the bully enough and it all stopped. Felicity could feel that I was riddled with anxiety, even though I never complained or mentioned the abuse to anyone. I thought that was sweet. So sad. These are grown ass women. And then imagine you're going back to high school days. Mm -hmm. Oh, but to be fair, um, Eva was the newcomer in Desperate Housewives. Everybody else was kind of seasoned. Um, in their mid to late 30s. Uh, uh, Eva was 28, 29 when she was casted. Still. But yes, I do agree. But when you're in the industry, sometimes you don't know what to do. So I could I could see her being anxious, but she's not saying anything. So obviously who... Felicity was like one of those people who observes and is a real friend and was like, I see every time this bitch gets around you, she starts saying shit. So I'm a dead this for you because you're too nice to say anything. Do we know who it was? Now, I, I, I let me let me talk about Mark's portion of his letter, and then I'll tell you what I think. Okay. Because no, she didn't name. Of course, she just said a person. The so, judge should have been like, I need names. He, he should have <laughs> said, if it ain't directed, it ain't respected. <laughs> <laughs> Cherry wrote about a problematic cast member in his letter 
talking about the actor in question had big behavioral problems that made it impossible for the cast to get along with them. He said that this person even decided she would no longer speak to her fellow cast members, only directors. The behavior was described as alternately maddening and hilarious. He says Huffman, Felicity, however, never gave the bully the satisfaction of stooping to their level. He says, quote, Felicity still insisted on saying good morning to this actress, even though she knew she wouldn't get a response. I found out about this and asked Felicity about it. She smiled and said, just because that woman's determined to be rude doesn't mean she can keep me from being polite. Due to the fact that Mark had extreme issues with Nicolette Sheridan to the point where he did not speak well or highly about her at all. And um, a un, I, I didn't talk about this incident, but there was an incident with Terry Hatcher and Mark Cherry where she had to eat some pancakes and she didn't want to eat a whole bunch of carbs take after take. So um, she wanted blueberries on the, the pancakes. So take after take, she would just be eating the blueberries. And her and Mark got into some sort of, you know, argument. And then eventually he relented and that's what they did. So, Why didn't they just use a spit bucket? I don't know. Consistency. But um, due to that being such a small, small snit that they had, and the fact that he really hates, I don't want to say hate, but it seems like he hates Nicolette Sheridan, and the fact that he said it was alternately maddening and hilarious, I felt like they were both talking about Terry Hatcher. Because I thought if he was talking about Nicolette Sheridan, he would have used a lot more harsher language and talked about the fact that not only does she have a problem with the actresses, she had a problem with me. With Eva Longoria, she's never really spoken for or against Nicolette at all, but she doesn't speak about Terry either. And Terry was the more problematic one. Like I said, besides this lawsuit, Nicolette Sheridan doesn't really get brought up amongst the housewives. And I think that's just distance because of what that lawsuit meant, if it was true or not. And the fact that Felicity is still okay with Mark Cherry, but everybody else openly does not like Terry Hatcher. And one more thing to prove that I feel like this was Terry Hatcher was 14 years after Desperate Housewives went off, Felicity went to Instagram and posted like shout outs and memories to all the housewives except who? Terry Hatcher. She even included Nicolette Sheridan. Oh, damn. So, they, yeah. Terry, I think they were both talking about Terry Hatcher. Yeah, that right there kind of solidifies it for me. Yeah. And why? I don't, I never understand that when on a set, like when we were talking about um, Leah Michelle. Yes. There's big bullies on set and you guys just allow it. Like, why is this allowed on set? Yeah. Do your fucking job. <laughs> Nobody wants to fucking work anymore. <laughs> <laughs> like I, right. I or what, what, did, what did Courtney say? So true. So true. So true. <laughs> I, I think the worst part, but the funniest part of that video. So true. <laughs> I don't, but I just don't get it. Like they, I, what needs to be done where we have a nice police on set to make sure people are getting along. Like I get people are going to fight, but there's a difference between fighting and then when, in this case, where it seems like there's more of a bully. Mm-hmm. I agree. 
So, um, yeah, last thing I have on this is that in 2018, before Eva Longoria got her star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, she was on Jimmy Kimmel Live and uh, was talking about Desperate Housewives and all that and describing, um, not describing, but talking about her friendship, uh, particularly with Marsha Cross and Felicity Huffman and saying that they were going to attend her ceremony. And Longoria says, you know, quote, we're we're very good friends. And Jimmy says, all of you. And Longoria says, no, but 99% of us are. And she didn't name any other co-star by name. So Damn. I mean, read with that, read from that what you will. Um, but in the end, nobody besides, you know, kind of sort of Felicity was messing with Cherry, Mark Cherry. And nobody has talked to Terry Hatcher, but, you know, with the type of show that Desperate Housewives was uh, very much polarizing on and off the screen and the salacious storylines that they had on the show and the type of actresses that they had and the backstage battles, you know, it'll always be a part of the history. Um, will it always be on the good side? Questionable. But it's history. Let's Anybody say anything about Alfrey? You know what? I was not even gonna. Admit, I was gonna shut <laughs> up. I wasn't even gonna say nothing about no Alfrey Woodard. But she's not mentioning the story at all. Okay. But I love me some Alfrey Woodard. <laughs> that the only reason I bought the season two box set of Desperate Housewives because I saw my bitch on the cover. I said I got to get it. I think that I think I watched these. I said at beginning season one, but I think I watched season two just for her. Yes, and I'm, I'm gonna tell you right now. Even though that whole storyline was chaotic as fuck, I still was entertained because Alfre Woodard is a good ass actress. <laughs> I yeah, just they always like do a scene and then they walk off and everything's normal and she just gives like one of these looks to the camera like oh my yes. god, <laughs> <laughs> stay the fuck away from my family type of uh -huh. <laughs> hilarious. Now let's speed run through my second story. Was Jose right? Yes, he was. It's about Martin. Oh. <laughs> Let's talk about the story behind Martin and Gina. Now, if you do not know what I am referring to, what I am speaking about, I'm talking about the relationship in the last season between Martin Lawrence and Tisha Campbell, who starred in the hit 90s show, Martin. Before we get started, I, I think I know this answer, but were you familiar? Did you watch or like Martin? I know about Martin. I know it's a beloved show. Mm -hmm. I have never watched it. Okay. I, I pretty much knew that. <laughs> <laughs> but I just wanted you to tell the viewers so you if, if you, they can know what type of knowledge you was on. Okay. So Martin premiered fall 1992, and it lasted five seasons, ending in 1997. Just for some background, Martin and Tisha were familiar and friendly before Martin due to them both starring in the movies Boomerang and House Party a couple years prior. The show Martin was centered around a radio DJ named Martin Payne in Detroit, and he was played by comedian Martin Lawrence. And it's also about his girlfriend, Regina Waters, known as Gina, and their various friends and neighbors in the scope of the sitcom. He also plays a few other roles within the show, like at least four to five other characters. But personally, my favorite, my most iconic two are 
Shanae Jenkins, and Jerome. Special mention is Mama Payne. But yeah, I love uh, I love an actor who actually plays other characters and is funny. Now, is Martin funny every single time with every single character? That's debatable, but especially with Shanae and Jerome, I've, I, he's always hilarious. Now, the show goes Martin or Gina do or say something messed up or selfish or behave in a rude manner and eventually fix or learn their lesson. And throughout the storyline, it has a hilarious moment or two. And then that's the plot. And then there's a new show. Hey, that's life. We can all relate to it. (laughs) Now, because it's a simple plot and the cast, as well as Martin being very hilarious, the show worked. It was a success. And these characters and actors became cemented and known for these roles up until today. Like, people are still called, Tisha still is called Gina, Tanisha Arnold is still called Pam, and of course, Martin is Martin. <laughs> Especially in the Black community. Oh, really? Was that not known? <laughs> we're just all, for our, just we're for all our listeners. white people. Just, hey, <laughs> Gina! <laughs> but yes, yes, this was a very popular Black sitcom. Yes. Now, Unfortunately, there were issues to come, even though this was such a successful show. Now to give the viewers, I say viewers, but you know what you are, your listeners, (laughs) to paint a picture of the landscape of this time, around 1995, Martin Lawrence was a very successful comic slash TV star. You know, he had starred in some movies. He was hosting Def Jam Comedy on HBO. And um, he was blowing up on the big screen. He was starting to do movies. 1995, Bad Boys with Will Smith comes out. 1996, he writes, stars, and directs A Thin Line Between Love and Hate that has Lynn Whitfield, Regina King, and Bobby Brown. And he has been paid up. I think the rumor was anywhere from five to seven million to be in his next movie, Nothing to Lose with Tim Robert Robbins in 1997. But while all this good stuff is happening professionally and he is flourishing, privately some shit was really going down. Now, the most popular widely known incident, as far as I know, uh, involving Martin Lawrence happened in 1996. What happened was May 8th, 1996, Martin Lawrence is in public in, in Los Angeles Ventura, how do you say it? Ventura Boulevard, I think you say that one. Sure. (laughs) He's in Los Angeles on Ventura Boulevard, acting increasingly erratic, and he ends up getting arrested after brandishing a pistol in the middle of an intersection. And he's screaming, they're trying to kill me. After being arrested and then later hospitalized, his- The Star Whackers. Shut the fuck. Oh my god! Sorry, I, I just got chills. I Sorry. hate you. I Sorry. Say, what Sorry. are you talking about? It's Star Wars. Sorry. <laughs> I hate you. Now, if you guys it, don't know what that is, that's the Randy Craig episode. Yeah, you gotta eat me. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta listen to that one, bro. Okay, so yeah, he says they're trying to kill me. He ends up getting hosp- uh, hospitalized. His uh, PR, his publicists are like, what you saw was just exhaustion and dehydration. You know, there was nothing else but that. The common excuse for when celebrities are on or doing some fucked up shit. Yeah, I've been dehydrated all the time. I never do that. Bro, and I've seen you when you're dehydrated. And I was (laughs) trying to kill you. (laughs) (laughs) 
So according to People.com, July 1995, Martin Lawrence had an outburst on the set of A Thin Line Between Love and Hate. After this outburst, he ends up getting uh, hospitalized at Cedars Sinai Medical Center. And then he's assigned a living nurse to supervise him at home. Damn. Yeah. So first we, uh, I'm going back in time now because I talked about the most known one, which is the 1996, they're trying to kill me thing. Now we're going in order. So yeah, the July 1995 one was when he was on set of his own movie and they didn't say who the outburst was towards or what happened. They just said it was like a big violent outburst and uh, he was taken to the medical center and got a living nurse. Now, also around this time, shortly after, he ends up getting arrested for punching a guy in a nightclub. Then Martin is married at this time to a woman named Patricia. So Patricia, his wife is 26, Martin's 27 at this time. Martin's wife describes him in an affidavit. Um, so I guess she had to take him to court at one point or another. She describes Martin as a violent drug abuser who exhibits irrational and abusive behavior towards me and who loves their, at this time, 16-month daughter, Jasmine, very Aww. much, but can't be trusted alone with her, which is a mouthful to say that you're not only erratic and abusive and you love your family, but I, I can't tr trust uh, our child alone with you. Yeah, scary. Yeah. Very scary. And then when you know what happens shortly after, which you brandishing a pistol in traffic, saying people are going to kill you, and then previously just getting arrested for hitting somebody in the face, it's like, well, no, you can't be trusted. No. So another incident in this time frame is when Lawrence tried to board a plane with a nine millimeter Beretta. Once he went through either hit, I think it had to be in his luggage, but once it went through the metal detector, um, he got caught, arrested. He was detained at the scene. Well, he was detained at the scene, then he gets arrested, and then eventually gets two years of probation for that charge. Now, when this event happens, they said like a few days later after he gets caught with the pistol, him and his family uh, fly to Arizona to get him enlisted in a uh, rehab program. But two days later, Patricia says that in her affidavit, he checks himself he checks himself out and uh, ends up getting high again on uh, marijuana, even while seeing a drug counselor. So, yeah, or marijuana. Obvious. Well, we don't know what else he was doing. Yeah. Because no offense, when you are doing what he was doing, and then you get flown to a drug. It's uh, more rehab than center. Yeah, I think marijuana is your side drug. And That's you're brandishing pistols in traffic. That ain't weed. So then, September 14th, later in the year, after returning from Hawaii around 4 a.m., Martin wakes Patricia up, and he has their daughter, Jasmine, in his arms, and he asks, where is his nurse, his living nurse? Why isn't she home? Um, Patricia says that she had given the nurse a few days off, and Martin goes like he he goes up. He's he's raging. He starts shouting at her, uh, quote, I'll bust your teeth in, push her, pushes her back on the bed while he still has the baby in his hands. And then after I guess he leaves or blows off his steam, Patricia grabs Jasmine and then they move into a hotel. Now, like I said, she moves into a hotel and apparently gets a temporary restraining order against Martin because she's scared. 
Yeah. And this is September 4th. Yeah, September 14th. Now, October 30th, Martin goes to her room at the uh, the Universal City Hilton. It's been about three weeks. And um, Patricia has a a security guard who's supposed to be protecting her and hire and, and she's hired them. But an unsigned notes get slipped under her door. And the first note says, quote, I will do anything to have you back. I miss my baby so much. But then it turns into if I can't have you, then I will make sure that no one has you. So come home now. If you don't, then I will have to do what I have to do. Oh, damn. How far apart were these notes, like, in time, do you know? No, I think it's the beginning of the note to the end of the note. <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> Good cop, bad cop, all in one. Yeah, I said one note, but it, it was, uh, it, those were the same note, but it starts off sweet, and then it turns into a different type of okay. menacing, angry, authoritative, manipulative, all that. Very abusive. Um, but of course, you know, I'm guessing with them not being able to come to a conclusion, uh, Martin Lawrence shortly uh, files for divorce. They've only been married for a couple of years. It said after uh, Tisha learns about some of those threats that happened to Patricia, as well as some things that she had already been dealing with on set, she quits Martin and leaves. Apparently, Was she friends with this woman? No, but I think it just came out all like publicly out in the wash. Okay. So uh, she quits Martin, and of course, that's like kind of, I, I, I guess it must have been in violation of her contract because the producers try to sue her so she can come back to work to finish the season. And she countersues them, countersues the producers and Martin Lawrence uh, with, quote, repeated and ex- escalating sexual harassment, sexual battery, verbal abuse, and related threats. Now, Tisha uh, alleges that she felt uncomfortable about around Mont Lawrence on set and that he would grope or simulate sexual acts in front of the crew when they were not filming or rehearsing to the fact where she had to start pleading with the writers to stop writing bedroom scenes. Oh, my. The case gets dropped. They both ended up settling. Whatever settlement happened, we don't know, but we do know us uh, one or two of the stipulations which was that tisha was going to finish and film the last season season five but she was very hard like she was very dead set on not doing any scenes that included martin so she was in season first of all she wasn't in all of season five but the season five episodes that she is in she is not in a scene that includes martin lawrence whatsoever but she played his girlfriend. But she played his girlfriend. So they did things like there was a like a two part uh, cruise episode. The gag is, is that all the whole crew is going to be on the episode. Martin, Gina, Pam, Tommy, Cole. But what happens is that everybody's on the ship waving goodbye. But Gina somehow misses the boat. And so therefore she wasn't on the boat. She's not in the show. Uh-huh. So that's how they played that one. They did another thing where they were talking on the phone, but they're split screen because they wrote Gina's character to be transferred to Los Angeles and the show centered in Detroit. 
Oh. There was another one where they did the whole, the two characters keep missing each other. They keep entering and exiting scenes when the other enters and exits. So they're never in the same room at the same time. That is so smart. And like, I wonder if you didn't know what was going on, if you would even connect it, like that they're never in the same room. Exactly. And that's what I was like. I was like, when I first watched it, because I never watched Martin in order. I, don't, I still don't think I have. And I, I don't really watch Martin a lot. I, I enjoy it, but it's not really my thing. Controversial opinion. I probably already said it before. My wife and kids is like at least two times better than Martin. I'm sorry. It is. It is what it is. I said it. When I first saw the seasons or the episodes where they weren't in the same thing, I thought it was weird too. But I do remember watching like the Cosby show and there was another one. It was another show where the women were pregnant. So they would do that whole, you have to hold a box or you weren't there or you were in the bed or something. So I was thinking, well, maybe they're just doing a very much more exaggerated version of that. And then uh, eventually I found out about the scandal and I was like, oh, mm-hmm. so that's what it was. So I don't think it was that noticeable. It was very weird but i don't think it was noticeable until you knew about what happened yeah so the case ends up getting settled the show ends everybody goes their way with tisha campbell jumping from sitcoms to movies back to sitcoms and doing her music in between because she is a singer and martin lawrence just becoming a big movie star in in comedy They survived whatever they went through and ended up thriving. But what about a reunion? Because a reunion was just shot last month on BET Plus. And they were all there except for, tragically, Thomas Ford, who died in 2016. Thomas Ford uh, is is a very well-known Black actor. He's in a lot of things where even if he's not the main character, you just know his face. And in 2016, he died from a ruptured um, abdominal aneurysm. And that was just so sad because you just, especially with aneurysms, you just don't know. It just happens. Uh So uh, with the combination of Thomas Ford's uh, untimely passing, in addition to Tisha Campbell getting separated from her longtime husband, Dwayne Martin, um, I think that cleared away for a little bit of a reconciliation slash reunion especially since Tisha Campbell came out in an interview, I think with CBS and was basically saying that when it was announced or leaked or whatever that I separated from my husband, one of the first calls I got was Martin just trying to talk or connect and, you know, make sure I was cool. And why is that? How am I supposed to know? That's what she said. (laughs) 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 So I'm guessing the husband had a, were obviously had a were they t- married when the show was going on? They were they were dating as as the show uh, was like towards the middle to end. I okay, think. but here's the it, it, well, I didn't tell. Well, Dwayne Martin was also accused of um, uh, skimming or or scamming Tisha out of a lot of her money. Like he he was like accused of tax evasion. Um you know, taking money out of one account to other accounts. And the thing is, is Dwayne Martin is supposedly really good friends with Will Smith. Oh, wow. So, but yeah, Dwayne Martin found himself in some shit for a minute. 
but I, I don't know. Uh, so they, they found common ground with the, you know, the death of their castmate, the ending of her marriage. They started to reconnect and I guess bury the hatchet. Um, the only thing that is kind of kind of crazy to me, right, is that nobody really, I don't want to say this, but both Martin and uh, Tisha say, you know, we've moved past this. We don't need to talk about it anymore. But Martin in the last like two to three years has denied that that was even about anything. But they've re reconciled and shot this reunion. So I still don't really know what the real story is with the Martin and Gina story. Um, I can imagine that maybe it was just a whole uncomfortable situation. And Martin Lawrence was in a spiral in his professional life. I mean, his personal life that spilled into his TV show. But um, he doesn't really confirm if he did something or nothing. He does just say that it's nothing but love with him and Tisha and that they're cool and that they've moved past that. So we don't talk about it no more. And she says that they don't need to talk about it anymore as well. She told Gail, you know, we worked really hard to forgive and forget. So I could not tell you it. It's it's up to people to like see to read between the lines and feel how you feel. But these these two stars have worked it out and reconciled and reconciled and shot a, a special that is available on BET Plus talking about Martin and the legacy and what they did and how they felt. But it's still up for grabs about what the fuck happened in 1996, 1997. That is so interesting. I mean, I I have to believe that there was some unwanted touching. I do too, yes. And she probably did an NDA that she still can't talk about it. And he's just saying, oh, it never happened. But they both know the truth that it did happen. And I mean, that's why I could see her husband be mad. Like, she's like, oh, I can't be around him. You know, my husband's going to leave me, my boyfriend or whoever he was at the time. Mm -hmm. And there was even rumors. I didn't put this in because I couldn't get it confirmed. But there was even rumors that maybe Martin and uh, Tisha had a little bit of an, a thing, a fling affair. While she could have been dating Dwayne or somebody else and he was married. But. Like I said, that's very much unconfirmed. And honestly, it still doesn't matter because when we're on set, bitch, don't grope me and don't make me feel uncomfortable and touch me when I don't ask you to. And just what you said, those other stories, it does seem at that point in time, he was going through some things. Yeah, especially he wasn't in control of his behavior. Yeah. His yeah, so that's what I have for battling co-stars backstage beefs. And as you guys know, we like to end the episode. Oh, I, I have another question. I'm sorry. No, I want to end the fucking episode on a positive note. <laughs> no, I, I have another discussion for it. Okay, let's uh, let's discuss your point. Do you think him not owning up to anything like changes it? Like, I feel like I would have more respect for him if he changed up, if he owned up to something instead of just being it's cool it's behind us. Okay, so here's what's the crazy thing, right? The, him like basically denying it was the last piece of evidence I saw. In fact, I didn't see that till today. So if you would have asked me when I had most of my research done, how did I fail? How, how did I fail? <laughs> how did I feel? I would have said, you know, it was like a bad personal stage in his life where he really messed up 
and hopefully learned his lesson as well as Tisha being able to forgive him for whatever he did. But when I did see that quote, which I just because I, I just want to give you the full scope, I, I want to show exactly what he said. I want to read it to you then. So let's here. And this is from essence.com. Apparently this was a, um, he was interviewed by essence.com. This is from, it was updated December 6, 2020. Let's start. It says, when asked if his reason involved the, oh, okay. When they're talking about why did you end Martin? Why did Martin get, why did you leave? And it says, when asked if his reason involved the lawsuit brought forth by Campbell, who played Lawrence on-screen wife, Gina, in the series that ran from 1992 to 1997, the actor confirmed it was the reason he walked away from the show. Quote, yeah, because none of that was true. It was all a lot of bullshit and just whoever side it was. It was bullshit. He said, adding that the two never spoke about the lawsuit. Quote, we don't need to talk about something that just didn't happen. So I just decided to walk away from the show. I just decided to end it. People said that I got canceled, but that wasn't the case. I decided to just leave the show later a little bit later a couple paragraphs later it says lawrence says that he he's bumped into campbell and there's nothing but love between the two quote i love tisha i've seen her then and now now and then always with nothing but love i have nothing but love for her and i always have and then they quote tisha on the reel from i guess 2019 saying this is how I knew things were going to be okay. Martin called me the day after I separated just to connect. Talking about when her and Dwayne separated and called the reunion a part of her healing. So what uh, do you uh, think after hearing it directly? Okay. You said, did she win a settlement? She won a settlement, right? They settled. Like it didn't go to court. Uh, the, the producers in her settled the case. And but that doesn't mean she won. No, she didn't win because there was nothing to win or lose. Or, like she did she get any money? Was it any money in her favor? I have no idea. All we know is that one of the stipulations of the settlement was that Tisha was not to film any scenes with Martin Lawrence whatsoever. That's all we know. Oh, him denying it. It it just doesn't sit right with me, but what if it but why would she say that? See, it, it just doesn't make sense to me. I agree. I also think it's kind of crazy to deny it in such a wild-ass way and then follow it up in saying you have nothing but love for her. And then for her to say, oh, you know, we everything's good. We teach it up on me. That's weird, too. Mm-hmm. But who am I to say, like, oh, she can't. You know, she's allowed to forgive and forget if she wants to. Because it happened but, to her. Yeah, but if you sweep so much under the rug, you're going to trip on the rug. <laughs> I kind of feel how you feel. I definitely thought that this was a weird conclusion to their story. You know, if they're happy, I'm happy. But it does look very weird that there's still not no public resolution. But then again, who are we as the public? We're very demanding. Um, and I guess it's been decades and they've found a solution that works for them. But you really still don't have any clue on who could really be like, like, are we being deceived? Are we being played? What the hell happened? At the end of the day, I know it's not our business. 
That's true. But her coming out saying there was groping, I want to touching, mm-hmm. and then it, it just doesn't sit right with me. Like, was there? Was but there? then I could see her thinking it was a time in his life. He's better now. Let's move on. But him denying it, that's the whole thing. That is the whole thing. That's the fly in your soup right there. Mm. Waiter? <laughs> him denying it. Well, I ain't saying it now. You got to say it. <laughs> <laughs> but we do like to... <laughs> we do like to end every episode on a positive note with some form of media we relate to, we want to discuss. Do you want to go first or shall I? Do you have yours ready? I do not. Okay, I'll just go first. Okay, perfect. So, um, I've been thinking about our... I've been thinking about the past a lot, which I need to stop doing because that's just going to kind of depress me. But I was thinking about, you know, the songs and videos we used to watch, uh, especially in college. Oh, and... my video phone. Bitch. Oh, no. I don't know why that one just popped up. <laughs> don't you get me started. <laughs> um, but I was, uh, I don't know if we want, if we watch this one together, but I know this used to be a staple for me in, in college was the Forever Young live with Beyonce and Jay-Z. Oh, yeah, I showed that to you. Oh, my gosh. I'm so glad you did. That's one of my favorite performances of them together. Like, you know, or like even like like album single version. Like, I love Drunk in Love, um, Crazy in Love. I, I I don't really need to hear that ever again, if, if possible. Uh, 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 part two on the run, that's kind of cool. But as far as like their voices blending, as well as like the performance aspect and seeing like how they care about each other as well as they performing. And the fact that Beyonce isn't even the original singer on this uh, song. I don't know. I, I just love watching the video. Um, and I love the song and I love uh, the rapping part. But, you know, I'm really there for the Beyonce. <laughs> I had that album when it came out. I forget what album it was on. Was it the Blueprint? Part three? Yes, the blueprint, yes. Which also has one of my favorites, Run This Town, bitch. Hey. That is probably one of my favorite Jay-Z albums. I remember buying that one. But I remember it was the guy on the album version. Yeah, I think they call him Mr. Hudson. I don't recall. Yeah. Sorry to that man. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But... Then when I saw the Beyonce version, I'm like, why wasn't this on there? Like Exactly. Because it was already one of my favorite songs on the album already, but mm-hmm. Beyonce just took it to another level. Oh, okay. Well, I had never heard the song, period. I had only heard the Beyonce version that you showed me. So like a fool, I started looking up for like the actual version and I heard this man. I said, ugh. <laughs> I said, ugh. Turn this off. But it's cool. <laughs> it's just better with Beyonce. Speaking of, Blueprint 3 is cool, but the best one is 444. Man, that's a good album. Okay, I did love 444, but I'm I'm going to stick with my guns. Blueprint 3 was the best album. And probably. You know what my personal choice is? Not my This is a guilty pleasure album cuz I think a lot of people hated it. But I low key <laughs> This just turned into Jay Z hour, unfortunately. But uh-huh. low key, I really do like uh, Magna Carta, Holy Grail. 
Oh, I do too. Like, there was some bops on that. I, I still, to this day. Okay, the Blueprint Part 3, since we're talking about it, mm -hmm. had Run This Town, like you said, which had Rihanna and Kanye. Mm -hmm. It had Empire State of Mind, which had Alicia Keys. And you can mm -hmm. say what you want about that song. I feel like it lost some of its respect. But when that song first came out, it had people in a chokehold. Every fucking way. Yeah, like you said, it did lose some of its shine, but that is an iconic song. Ask Lil Mama, she knows. <laughs> First of um, all, when I tell you, me and my sister watched the MTV Awards live that year, it was shit show after shit show, but it was so entertaining. <laughs> Bro, it was the best MTV Awards I had ever seen in my life. And it had Young Forever with Mr. Hudson, and then my favorite one, On to the Next One with Swiss Beats. Oh! I'll be forgetting about that one. That's not that's not a bad one, actually. That's a good one, too. Yeah. 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 Well, I ain't gonna bring up the album right now because my phone about to die. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was just a great album. I remember having that album back when, you know, I I actually bought like the actual physical CD. Yes. I think I haven't done the last one I brought was Adele's 25, and before that. I couldn't even tell you. I couldn't even. There's Probably an Alicia one. There's something about CDs that I do love. I remember I bought that one, and I bought the Beyonce B-Day Deluxe Edition. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I didn't really buy a lot of CDs. You know, I feel like our generation, we very young millennials, almost yeah. Gen Zers were so young. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, you know, by the time we were already on the LimeWire, the MP3s were becoming a big thing. Yep. Even but, Zune had its time. Yeah, but I, I do love an album. I My mom used to have, like, you know, bookshelves and stuff filled with albums, with CDs. Yes. And tapes and stuff. I, mm -hmm. I kind of miss that, that you don't really get to have that. I mean, you can if you want to, but... I think that's why when I started working at the shop, I got so like consumed with buying DVDs. Like I still have a picture of like when I was doing them by like my TV with no real shelf or anything. But oh. I do think it's I still have all my DVDs, by the way. They're just kind of in storage, low key. But um, I do think it's important to buy DVDs and CDs because you just don't know what's going to happen to the world as well as having physical copies. It's just so important now with the way things are just manipulated and changed over the Internet and um, music and all that other stuff. Something, some song, some part, something that you thought was there is not going to be there and you're going to think you were crazy the whole time. You got the physical CD, bitch. No, nah, they took that shit out. I agree, because it's not always on the streaming. It's not always on Spotify, how they mm -hmm. have it. Um, I used to have a huge DVD collection, too, physical copies. And when I moved this last time, you know, I was like, take it or toss it. And I just, I gave it all to my brother for him to sell. I was like, I don't want it. It's just. I was pissed when I found that out. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, I gave away a lot of stuff. And I kind of regret it now, because it was like a lot of movies I did like. And yeah, they're on streaming services. But sometimes you have to pay for them. I was like, oh, I have to rebuy this. I know. Man, I hate when I look up a movie and they say, $5.99. What? Mm -hmm. Buy a DVD player, it'd be three ninety nine, bitch. That is true. I guess I'll do. Are you done with your media? I'm sorry, I kind of took over. Oh no, no, you're fine. Go ahead and lead into yours, sir. I guess I'll do a media too. 
And mine's gonna be an album as well. Why not? Why not? So my album, which is probably like the last great album that I think from this person. No, not the last great. Okay, my album is Take Care by Drake. Interesting. Which came out in 2011. Now, 2011, you know, we were <laughs> teens then. We were about to graduate high school where you were. I was, I'm much younger. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it had it had Heifer. It had the motto. It had Take Care with Rihanna. And it had headlines. Room. Yeah, it's headlines had Marvin's Room, which is one of my favorite Drake songs. And then JoJo made a like a response to that. I was about to say, I was like, forget, forget Drake's. It's about JoJo's. <laughs> and I was just thinking about those albums, that album, because I feel like Drake nowadays does not make albums Ouch, for an damn. album. He's making singles, and he's trying to follow the meme. He's trying to follow the the scent of going viral. Yep, the memes, the trends. What are people looking for? What do people kind of sort of like? How can I make fun of myself but make it sound good? Don't even yep. get me started on that. Honestly, never mind. I, I I didn't listen to the album, but I did listen to the single song that he has the video to that he has um, Tristan Thomas. What's the name? Tristan Thompson? Yeah, Tristan Thompson in. The one who keeps cheating on Khloe Kardashian. Okay. That is a fucking terrible song. I Am I big on house music? No, but I have been raised with some house music staples. Like, for real, from my grandma. So I know a little bit of the theming. Not, not the theme, but some of the... Uh, the music you use and the sounds and all that stuff. And it just sounds like he just put whatever beat that would satisfy uh, whatever um, type of feel vibe he was going for and just wrapped whatever over it. I don't think it sounds good at all. I think I that the video and the song don't match. I think the beat and the, the words don't match. I, I think it's a very mixed match effort i think if you look at the certified lover boy like he's diving into the meme right there you look into yes. the album covers like oh all these pregnant emojis haha so funny and that was stupid and he's not getting i i would never say i was a huge drake fan before but then when, when i was thinking about it, it's like wow i love this song i love that song mm -hmm. and he he can't do it i feel like hotline bling was kind of like the perfect mix where it's it became this viral meme but at the same time he was just just making a song making content he wasn't trying to like i want everybody to see and love this yeah so i guess my people mostly is, made fun of him they made fun of him but they loved it i mean yeah i do covered it oh yes and i guess my media is drake because i i've seen it more i think drake's the more popular example but i'm seeing it more where the artists are trying to ca cash in on this tiktok on this meme and it it doesn't always work just make music i agree because like that... me and beyonce we go out there we make an album <laughs> I cannot some stand of you guys you. wouldn't understand that me, Beyonce, Adele, we, we just make albums. Y'all just sit there and sing. We're like, tick, tick, tock, or who? 
But yeah, that's what everybody is like. In in this case, I, I don't think he was trying to do the, the trick, the TikTok trend, because he's already done that. But he was trying to, I feel like, set a new trend or wave or vibe or good time. But his wasn't good enough to start it. And people have made a good point where it's like people have been doing this type of style of music for a long time. We just didn't notice. He's just one of the bigger mainstream artists who is trying to dabble in it. And it seems to be not that successful. I heard that there were a few good songs on the album. So I think I want to listen to those to see. But I'm just basing my opinion off that first song with that first video. It sounds terrible to me. Yeah, and I kind of take care is a good one. I think my, I think I think I I don't know if I have a favorite Drake album, but take care probably would be up there. Yeah, I I kind of feel bad because I'm like, what if he's just trying to explore more? But then I don't. I don't think that's what it was. It's just not reading it like that to me. If you wanted to explore more, you could put out a mixtape. You could put out an EP. This man put out a full-blown surprise album. And you know why I think they're a surprise? I think, now here's my conspiracy theory. Oh, I feel like I'm going to agree exactly what you say. I think he got a heads up that Beyonce's song was going to come out, and he had to beat it to the punch. Oh, okay. That's not what I was thinking. <laughs> what was yours? It, it was kind of, I had two different thoughts. One was similar to that vein. My that The one that was similar to what you were thinking was, he got a heads up with the whole um, not Beyonce, not only Beyonce dropping, but Beyonce was doing uh, the type of music he was thinking of doing. So he wanted to put his stamp down first, but I don't think he was trying to like beat her. I think he just didn't want to be like, I was copying off of Beyonce. The oh. other thing, the other thought I had was he made this a surprise album. So expectations are low enough to that um, he can surpass them by saying he was trying something new for his style. And you see how he played it off like, oh, it's it's okay. Y'all don't know what it is yet, but you'll catch up, which is, it, it, it's the smart thing to say. It's the confident thing to say. Which I honestly, if I'm being 100% honest, have not given it the time of day that I normally would. And that's just because I was so disappointed with his last album. Yeah, I don't think I've paid attention to a Drake album since Scorpion, um, which was only what after Scorpion and then Certified Lover Boy and then this one. But Scorpion came out with In My Feelings. Um, nice for what? Nice for what? And there's one more. It was a trifecta, and I was like, "Oh shit, I gotta, I gotta check this one out." And I loved it so much that I didn't, I was like, oh, yeah, this is great. And the Certified Lover Boy, the singles that came off of that, I was just like, if the single doesn't interest me, I feel like I'm not going to try the album. And I try to listen to Certified Lover Boy. And um, the song everybody makes fun of 21 Savage for is the only one I like, where he says um, something, not a rapper, turned him to a booty clapper. That shit is hilarious. <laughs> but yeah. But I, I agree. We haven't, <laughs> we're judging them before we've even tried it. I, I've tried it a little. I've dabbled in it, but. But I, I just. When I, when, when I dabble into an album, something has to get me. That's true. And sometimes you don't, you can like an artist, but not want to hear a particular sound from that artist. And I think 
Drake is not my favorite artist, but I don't need to hear that type of music from Drake. I don't like Drake, but I like some of his music. There you go. And I think that's a good place to leave it. It's a warm feeling. It's nice. Like when you pee in a pool. Oh. I love to ruin a moment. I know. All right. Well, is that all for us, folks? That's all. If you want to reach out to us, you can write us an email. Tell us about your media. Tell us if we're wrong about Drake and Jay-Z. I, I love that it became our little rap corner. <laughs> Come back to Katrina and Jose's rap corner. <laughs> I don't even know why it became that. Um, yeah, we just spiraled, but interesting. Yeah. I liked it. Send us your media at saveyoursorry at gmail.com. Send us suggestions on who to do. And if you like this episode, leave us a rating, leave us a review. If you're a repeat listener, come on, just do the right thing. I get it. I never left reviews. I never left ratings. (laughs) (laughs) But just do it. (laughs) I get it. I don't do it, but you got to. I do it now. I do it now. I'm a better person. Yeah. I'm I'm on my way there. (laughs) I'm sorry. Uh, I live a very hectic life here. No, that's not an excuse. We just provided at least an hour of entertainment. Yeah, and I've been doing three other things while we've been doing this. (laughs) (laughs) And one of them could be leaving a review. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Twitter is Savior Sorry, but the your is spelled you are. And our Instagram is Savior Sorry is just spelled just like the podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. It's been wonderful. See ya. Bye.